Well, hello, Rock Church. How's everybody doing? You guys good? You're great. It's great to see you today. I'm so excited that, that everybody's here, and it's the beginning of a series, which means we have all of our campuses joining us, Conway, uh, Ainer, Southstrand, Online, Jay Rubin, so we're really excited for, for everybody who is with us, and uh, man, I, I'm just going to start right away, and, and um, I, I think the best way for me to start today is to do this. My name is Josh, and I'm not okay. Amen. I think it's just the best way to start. I, I, think, I think it's important for me to say that I'm not okay, but that's okay. I'm not okay, but, but that's okay. And, and unfortunately, I think many times, we don't admit that. Like, like, I think many times myself, maybe you as well, maybe yourself, wherever, whatever campus you're at, that rather than saying, I'm not okay, I say, oh, I'm okay, right? Like, we've done it. I, I remember in high school that, that I was walking through the school, I was in between classes, and, and as I was walking by the gym, the doors were open to the gym, and, I, and it was dark. All the lights were off, but I could see all the way through to the other side of the gym where the doors were open, and, and people were walking through that hallway as well. And as I'm, I'm walking, I look through, and I see my girlfriend, Kim. And I'm like, Kim! She's like, hey, baby, you know, and she got all her friends around her, all her girlfriends around her. And so I take off. I'm like, I got time to go say hello, um, maybe get a little kiss. You know what I'm saying? It was high school, right? And, and I'm like, I got time. So I take off sprinting across the gym to get to the other side. What I didn't realize was the night before the volleyball team had practice. And you know what doesn't show up in a dark gym? A black volleyball net. And I wasn't very tall then because I'm not very tall now. So if I go and stand up against a volleyball net, guess where it catches? Right here. And sure enough, I'm sprinting across the gym. That volleyball net catches me from the neck up and lifts my feet clean off the ground and plants me on my back. And immediately, what do I do? Get up. Because all these people are in the other hallway watching me. They're like, oh, you okay? I'm okay. But I wasn't okay. I've told the church the story before about time running through a field, catching a Frisbee in, in front of hundreds of people, and I had to jump a wire, and it was, a, it was like a, a steel cable wire between two telephone poles, and, and I thought, I can jump this and catch a Frisbee at the same time, and my hops were not as good as I thought they'd be, and I caught the wire right here at a full sprint. And when you catch a wire like that at a full sprint, it wins. And it threw me down to the ground on my face, busted my lip, but hundreds of people are watching and people are coming. Are you okay? Are you okay? So what do I say? I get up and go, I'm okay, but I'm not okay. Or the time I was standing in my driveway after I just got fired and somebody calls and says, hey, Josh, you doing okay? I'm okay, but I wasn't okay. 
or the time that I was in Florida. My son was in Indiana crying on a football field. My daughter was in Illinois walking through a Walmart because she didn't have any place to go. And I was laying in bed with deep depression, not able to get out of bed that day. But if you'd asked, I would have said, I'm okay. But I wasn't okay. And we need to recognize today across all of our campuses, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. Because many of us are not okay. Like like there's things that we struggle with. And one of the things that we struggle with is mental health. And we're going to take six weeks and we're going to dive into mental health and spiritual health and see how it all plays together. And, and we're going to just dig into it because the reality is, is we have a mental health crisis going on in our world right now. And we got to talk about it. We got to admit that, man, I'm not okay in some of those areas. A friend of mine, his name is Ben Kacharis. He's a, a pastor in the Baltimore area. He wrote an article recently, and, and I just want to read you what he wrote because it's so powerful. So I'm just going to read you a section of the article that, that explains the mental health, if I can say it this way, epidemic that we are in right now. This, this is what Ben had to say. He said, we have a problem. Emotional well-being is in serious decline. It is a palpable crisis that was bad before the pandemic. The isolation, social upheaval, polarization, and massive changes with work, school, and life have exasperated the crisis, creating an extended ambiguity. Thank you. Sorry tongue-tied right now, and a heightened stress that is a perfect cocktail for burnout and emotional struggle. No wonder the World Health Organization's recent scientific um, brief states that the global prevalence of anxiety and depression has increased 25% since the pandemic's arrival in early 2020. Recent surveys reveal a radical downturn in attitudes and soaring levels of anxiety and worry on all fronts. Anxiety is now the number one issue for women. And for men, it is number two, only behind drugs and alcohol. And I would I would wonder, I would at least say this, I wonder if the reason anxiety is number two in men behind drugs and alcohol is because we're unwilling to admit we're okay, so we mask it with drugs and alcohol. And we just try to cover it up. Let me keep going in his article. Mental disorders are the leading cause of disability worldwide. According to a 2014 article in the International Journal of Epidemiology, such disorders now affect one in five adults, and the percentage is growing. With Generation Z, which is basically anybody who's a teenager through their mid-20s, is the most stressed-out generation ever. In recent years, the share of high school students who say they experience persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%. 
the highest level of sadness ever recorded according to an April 20, uh, 2022 article. So almost half of our kids feel hopeless. And 50% of parents of teens report worsened or new mental health problems in their teens since beginning of the pandemic. Most times it's depression and anxiety. Many children and young adults are fearful, sad, and struggling with life. As a result, suicide has become an epidemic. It is now the second leading cause of death in kids ages 10 through 24. We're not okay. I want you to hear those stats, not just as stats, but as stats of people you sit beside. Because it's real. It's real what some of our teenagers are going through. It's real what some uh, of, of our widows are going through. It's real what some of our young adults are going through. It's real what you're going through. And I don't want us to get lost in this. Well, that's just a stat that comes from a psychological magazine that we don't even know anything about. We actually took a survey here at church two weeks ago across all of our campuses, and we had over 800 people reply uh, to, to it. So, so that's, a, that's a good sampling of the people who are to your right and to your left. And, and, and here's the stats. This is what it says. That, that from the survey, 67% of the people who took the survey were females, 33% of them were males. That's not surprising. I don't think that's surprising, and here's why. I sat here and watched you take it, and I saw half of you dudes look at your wife and say, you're going to do it for us, right? So, so I get it. That's why the numbers are the way they are, but, but here's what the numbers say. 87% of people said, in the last 12 months, I've dealt with anxiety and worry. 56% of the people said, in the last 12 months, I've been dealing with depression. 86% in the last 12 months said, I've dealt with stress and burnout. 66% in the last 12 months said, I've, I've struggled with self-esteem. 15% in the last 12 months say that, that I've thought about suicide or harming myself. 93% of us say that there's someone in our life that is struggling with one of the above right now. So, so here's what that means. It means you're not okay. And if by chance, if by chance, you're one of the few, very few in the room, very few at, our, at one of our campuses who say, no, no, like, like I haven't struggled with any of them. Great. Awesome. But all you have to do is look to your right or to your left, in front of you or behind you, because that means those four have. Okay? That, that's what it means. So, so we've got to either deal with it personally or deal with it practically so we can help the person to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us, deal with it personally. Now, why, why is it even an issue right now? Why is mental health a struggle for us right now? I, I would venture to say for this reason, that, that I would say that there's three different, if I could say buckets, that, that cause mental health struggles. Um, and, and I thought about bringing some small buckets, but I was like, this is a big issue, so let's bring some big buckets, right? So 
why do we why do we struggle with mental health? Well, one reason is just biological. Like, like you might have a mental health struggle because biologically you have something in your body, chemically, in your DNA, that causes mental health struggles, that causes anxiety, that causes depression, that, that brings about worry, that it's just a simple DNA issue in your life. Now, when I, when I say simple, I want to be real careful there because I know it's not simple, but I want us to admit that, that when it comes to why we struggle with mental health, there's three buckets I would, would say, and the first bucket I would point to is simply biological, that there might be something in your DNA that was passed down to you that will, that will cause you to have struggles. Guys, that's in my family. I'll tell you that right now, that it's been passed down from generations in our bloodline. And, and I remember when, when, when our two oldest, Clay and McKenzie, when they were getting closer to their teenage, year, teenage years, my wife and I, we sat down with them and we said, listen, mental health, anxiety and depression specifically runs in our family. It's in the blood. And because it's in the blood, there might come a point where all of a sudden you feel like your world is caving in on you, that, that you feel like your heart is about to jump out of your chest, that, that, that all of a sudden you feel tightness all around you, and you might be going, what in the world's going on? If you ever get to that point, you need to immediately tell us. Because when it comes to biological, well, you have to treat it medically. And I just want to say this real clear. I want to be a preacher that tells you this. Because for so long in the church, the church has said this. Why are you struggling with depression? You should have the joy of the Lord. All you got to do is pray more and it's going to leave you. Because you wouldn't look at a diabetic and say, all you got to do is pray more. You don't need insulin. Like that would be asinine, right? Like we would never say that to a diabetic. We wouldn't say to somebody who needs uh, dialysis because of kidney failure, oh, no, don't do that. You know what I mean? Like some things are just biological and medical, and we need to treat them appropriately. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical person. You got to talk to the doctors and the medical people for an appropriate help there. But I want us to recognize that, that maybe you struggle just because of biology, but there's also another bucket. The other bucket would be this. It would be circumstantial. That, that sometimes there will be circumstances that just happen in life. I, I could call this situational as well. And, and, and sometimes we have a circumstance and we try to claim that, that it's a biological issue. It's not a biological issue. It's a circumstantial issue. Your girlfriend broke up with you, so you're depressed. That's a circumstance. It happened that, that, that maybe you got fired. That's a circumstance. It, it, it happens that, that, that maybe you've lost a loved one. And because of that, grief happens and anxiety happens and stress happens. It's a circumstance. It's a horrible circumstance, but it's a circumstance that, that maybe there's chaos all around you that is causing anxiety. That's a circumstance. I mean, think about it this way. A war going on in the Middle East has caused anxiety and worry and stress. It's horrible, but that's a circumstance. And we have to recognize there will be circumstances that come into our life that can cause 
mental health struggles. Or there can be a circumstance that happened in your life that all of a sudden shows back up as a ripple effect or back up um, kind of as like a PTSD. And I'm very careful using, the, using that language because that goes so many directions. But I think you understand what I'm saying, that, that maybe, maybe a, a breakup in the past causes you, and it was a bad breakup, that now in your marriage, all of a sudden, there's some struggles, and you think, well, well because it ended in the past, now I, it, divorce is automatic. It's going to happen in the present, and it brings stress. Or, or there was some traumatic event that happened in, in your past that, that, that maybe you got fired in the past. It was a circumstance. And so now when the boss simply says, hey, can you come by my office? You freak out that you, anxiety comes up your chest just because you're like, am I getting fired again? It's the past circumstance showing up in the present in a ripple effect type thing. Or something horrible happened to you in your past. And every time you think of it or you see somebody like that, you immediately get anxious in the present because of something from the past. That's a circumstance. But it's real. And we got to deal with it. The, the other one, I would say is this, it's, it's not bio, biological, it's, it's not circumstantial, it's spiritual. That, that, that spiritually, something's missing. See, sometimes we have mental health struggles because of, of biology, because of DNA, because uh, of the things that have been passed down uh, through generations. Sometimes it's circumstantial, something just happened. Sometimes it is spiritual. You might go, man, I just feel so empty. Well, maybe that's because you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, right? Like, like God hardwired us to be in relationship with him. That, that, that we long, it says in Ecclesiastes, that eternity is woven on our hearts. And, and so, so you might feel empty because you've never responded to the Lord. That you might feel alone. You might feel like, 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 like God's not there. And it might be because I've never surrendered my life to Jesus, so the Holy Spirit hasn't taken up residency. Or... Maybe you've surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you have the Holy Spirit in you, yet you also have some unrepentant sin in your life. Like maybe you've brought some sin in, and now all of a sudden you feel tension in your relationship with God. You feel absent in your relationship with God. You feel like something's missing there. There's a roadblock there that's keeping you from Jesus. And, and maybe it's because you have sin in your life. And this bucket is way different than this bucket. And this bucket is way different than this bucket, and this bucket is way different. These buckets are different, but they're essential in this. If we're going to find help, we have to recognize, why is it that I'm struggling? Is it a spiritual issue? Is it a circumstantial issue? Or is it a biological issue? And you might need help figuring that out. You might need somebody coming alongside of you. You might need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And you might need the truth of God. Let me change that. You do need the truth of God. It's not might. You do. 
Because he hears the problem too many times. We believe lies. That we lie to ourselves saying we're okay, or we lie to ourselves on why we're not okay. Let me show you that out of Scripture. It's, we'll find some lies that, that we tell ourselves when we look at a story of a guy named Elijah. Now, I, I want to tell you this, that Elijah is a guy we're going to study for the next six weeks. And we're going to study one little segment of his life. Two stories that, that happened over the course of 40, 41 days, all right? But, but in this story, he's a phenomenal prophet of the Old Testament. I mean, he is the man, if you know what I mean, of the Old Testament. He's like one of those dudes. Yet he struggled deeply with some mental health crisis in his life. And so we're going to look at a story, and we're just going to keep pulling out things from the story every week. We're going to pull out how he dealt with worry and anxiety next week. We're going to deal with how he dealt with depression and suicide the following week. We're going to look at how he dealt with uh, stress and burnout the third week. And we're going to look at how he dealt with grief and loss. Today, though, I want us to look at the lies that he believed and the lies that he told himself. Because we got to combat these lies before we go any further. But, but let me just read the story. And once I'm done reading the story, I'm going to turn it over to our pastors at our other campuses, and, and they'll kind of dissect the lies. So let's look at the story. It says this. It starts in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Backstory, Ahab, Jezebel, king and queen, okay? Elijah, prophet, uh, including the way that he had killed the prophets of Baal. We'll talk about that next week. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me, even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, to a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Bad idea. Then he went alone, again, bad idea, into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Right, like right there, that is lie number one. We'll come back to that in a second. Then he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel told, uh, touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their co covenant with you. 
They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. That's lie number two. I want us to see these two lies, and like I said, I want us to dissect them, so I'm going to let our pastors at our other campuses take over right now, and I'm going to continue on here in Conway and at J. Rubin and online. Do you see the lies? See, the first lie that that I want you to, to dissect, the first lie I want us to catch is a lie that we often tell ourselves when we're dealing with mental health struggles. And and here's the first lie, and it's simply this. I don't matter. That we tell ourselves, I I just don't matter anymore. See, that's where Elijah went. That if you'll notice, he sat down under a broom tree, and he's like, God, kill me. My life doesn't matter. I don't matter. I'm no better than my ancestors. That he's basically saying to God, I just don't matter. It's obvious. And I believe that he's feeling that way, one, because he put himself in isolation. Isolation often leads to elimination. Hold on to that statement. When we isolate, we remove ourselves from others We put ourselves in bad situations. And that's exactly what Elijah had done. And and he was sitting alone. So because he's all alone, he's like, well, I must just not matter. And I believe that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. I think it's straight from hell. Straight from Satan. That I think he tries to get us to believe all the time that, that we just don't matter. That, that we look at our life and we just think, man, I, I don't know if I matter to anyone. That, that maybe you're a teenager or a young adult and you're, you're going to school all day. You're surrounded by people. You get home. You, you get on social media. You're surrounded by people, like on social media. But then as soon as you turn off the lights, you're like, I'm all alone. And you start asking yourself, man, I I must just not matter. I want you to know you matter to Jesus. You matter to him. Some of you are single moms and and you're just stressed out because you got work, you got your kids, you're trying to figure out how to pay the bills, you got it all, and you're just like, man, I can't, I just don't matter. No, you matter to Jesus. Maybe you're a widow and you're just going through grief and loss and you're struggling. You're just like, I'm all alone. I just, I don't know. You matter to Jesus. Jesus, that you matter to him because you're his creation. See, Satan would try to get you to just think that you're alone and you're an accident. But, but we see in scripture that you are a creation of God, which means You're a masterpiece because God doesn't make mistakes. Even his refrigerator art is better than a Picasso. And you are his best refrigerator arts. Maybe I can say this. We are God's Picasso. And if you've ever seen a Picasso, it's kind of like, eh, right? And we're oftentimes like, eh. But God looks at you and he goes, you are perfect to me. 
You are beautiful to me. Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So you can sit there and say, well, I'm not okay. You're right, you're not. But he is more than okay. So you can be okay. Like he is more than okay. And you matter so much to him that Jesus said, I'm going down and I'm rescuing and reconciling and restoring a right relationship with all the people. So he left heaven, he came to earth, he went to that cross and he died for you. For me, for us, because we matter. So we gotta, we gotta, we gotta kick that lie to the curb and kick Satan in the teeth when it comes to that lie. When he says you don't matter, you say, "Oh no, 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 I do matter." When you're struggling and the depression is sitting in, and you're like, "I'm alone, I don't matter." No, you matter. Remember. It's a lie from the enemy. It's negative self-talk when you say, I don't matter, because you matter to Jesus. Secondly, the second lie, it doesn't matter. See, see the first lie Elijah told himself, and, and, and it was all circumstantial, okay? Remember, it was a circumstance. Somebody was trying to kill him, and he left himself alone, so he's like, I don't matter. And that circumstance put him in a, in a deep struggle. But then the second thing is, was still circumstantial, is he said, well, it doesn't matter. And, and if you remember the very end of the scripture, here's what it said. He, that, that he said, God, like, I've been zealously serving you. I've been preaching your word. I've been telling people about you. I've been calling out uh, the, the nation and trying to get people to turn their lives back to you. But all people do is keep sinning. All people do is tear down uh, the, the altars for you. That, that they're trying to, to kill me and they've killed all the other prophets also. So God, what I'm doing is not working. So it doesn't matter. I quit. I give up. And he lost his purpose. He lost his meaning when he said, I don't matter. He lost his purpose when he said, it doesn't matter. And when you lose your meaning and your purpose, it will send you into a place of depression. That's where it sent him. There's a guy named Viktor Frankl who understood this way better than I ever will. And Viktor Frankl is a famous, uh, or maybe I should say world-renowned psychologist uh, who lived through concentration camps in World War II. That he was a professor and he was writing a book and, and, and then the war happened and then he got taken away and, and, and put in a concentration camp. His wife, his whole family, they did as well. And throughout the time that they were in concentration camps, everybody in his family was killed. He was the lone survivor. And when he got out of the concentration camp, he got back into to, to doing education, back as a professor, back into writing. And he wrote his most famous piece, which is about meaning of life. And in one of the books that I was reading, I found this story, and, and the book is phenomenal, that I was reading. It's called Out of the Cave. It's on the resource page. I highly recommend you get it. It's an incredible book. 
But, but in it was this quote from the author, Chris Hodges, and then a quote inside the quote from Viktor Frankl. And here, here's what it says. It'll be on the, on the screen for you as well. In German concentration camp, deprived of virtually all freedom and pleasures, Frankl became aware. Frankl became convinced that the secret of life to life was in finding meaning. Everyone, this is his quote directly, everyone needs to do some type of meaningful work to do something with their life that matters. Because the opposite of depression isn't happiness, it's meaning and purpose. Right? Because we think, like, I got to get out of this depressed I got to get happy. No, I, I got to find meaning. And I got to find purpose. And our meaning is found when we recognize we matter to God. We matter to Jesus. It's the number one value we hold as a church. We matter to Jesus. That's where I find meaning. But I find purpose in understanding that God has good things for me to do. Go back to that that passage in Ephesians where it said we are his masterpiece. The second part of that verse says this. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That he's got something for you to do. He's got a purpose for you to live by. So so again, if you're that young adult and you're struggling because you feel alone, you matter and God's got purpose for you. You're a single mom who's just wrestling with your kids and trying to figure out how to pay the bills. You matter and God's got a purpose for your life. That you're a widow and you're trying to figure out what's this next season going to look like. You matter and God's got a purpose in your life. Or any other thing you want to fill in the blanks with there. You matter. And God's got a purpose in your life. What you do matters. So don't believe the lies of the enemy. Believe the truth of God today. Believe the truth of God. And I I want us to go into a time of response where we can just sit in this for a while and wrestle with this. And and, and here's what I'm probably going to just say is let's start this series by just admitting I'm not okay. Maybe for you it's going to be grabbing one of those little prayer cards in front of your chair and writing on it, I'm not okay. That might be all you write. Or you might write, I'm not okay, I'm dealing with anxiety. Or I'm not okay, I'm dealing with loneliness. Or whatever it might be. And I'll encourage you to take that card and to roll it up and come up and place it in our prayer wall. You'll see the grid over on that side. There's also one right underneath our baptistry. And just offer that prayer up to God. Let's be honest with God and with ourselves and with each other, I'm not okay. But I can be okay because he is more than okay. And that's what I want you to to grab a hold of if you're here and you're feeling spiritually empty because it's just like, man, there's something missing. Well, maybe the answer for you is to ask Jesus to come into your life. 
Maybe it's to say, Jesus, I need you. And, and maybe you need to invite the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's spiritual. It's like, I know I got this sin and it's causing a block and it's causing me anxiety and it's causing depression. It's causing worry. It's causing stress. And maybe it's just time to get rid of that sin. Say, I'm not okay because I got this sin and I got to get rid of that sin. But maybe I'm not okay because of a circumstance going on. And man, I just need somebody to pray with about it. Then, then go to a connect corner and pray. Why don't you stand up? And we're going to do this time of response. And we're going to cry out to Jesus. And let him, let him bring healing. Let him bring truth. Let him erase the lies of the devil, the lies of the enemy, or the lies that we tell ourselves. And allow him to place his truth in your life. Will you run to him right now? Will you run to him and say, Jesus, I'm not okay, but I'm running to you. Because you're more than okay. Let's sing this song. And if you need to pray with somebody, we have people in both of our connect corners. And we'll do that right now with you. I invite you to do that. Let's do this.